Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary. Today, I am overjoyed to welcome to the show Kaylee Reggett, the director and playwright of Taylor's Version, a co-production between DIY Theater and Baker Miller Pink Theater. Kaylee is a Betty Mitchell nominee, outstanding new play for Home for the Holidays with Lunchbox Theatre, which also took home the Betty for Best Production of a Musical this year at the Betty's. Kaylee is one of the founding members of Prairie Kitten Productions, working to develop Albertan films written, directed, and produced by women. And Baker Miller Pink, where you've put up visions of Lillian here in Calgary before taking it to Next Fest at Edmonton. A proud Alpha Gamma Delta alum, University <laughs> of Calgary graduate, Kaylee has been prolific in the Calgary scene with productions you've directed and written for Calgary Fringe, In Case of Fire, and Stand Up, as well as Candlelight in 2019 for the Common Ground Festival. Recently married with a bundle of casting assistant credits on IMDb, you are a prolific writer, director, producer, and patron of the arts. Recently, Kaylee has been involved in a number of DIY theaters productions as co-director of Each and Every Song in May of 2023, Constellations in 2022, and Dramaturge for 2021's Trial by Faith, a Faustian tale. And that's just Kaylee. With me today as well is the music director for Taylor's version, Joy Robinson. Joy has now called Calgary her home since 2011, which pretty much means you're a Calgarian now just by sheer majority of your life. Pretty much. There we go. In 2014, Joy received her diploma in theater arts and the following year, a BA in leadership development and has since been working in full-time worship ministry as well as pursuing her passions in creative arts. For six summers, Joy acted in the Canadian Badlands passion play in Drumheller, which I would imagine you got to interact with friend of the show and of my basement because he played a bunch of board games here, Caleb Gordon. Oh, yeah in Drumheller, Alberta, and has worked with other theater companies in Calgary, such as Fire Exit Theater, Storybook Theater, and multiple productions with the theater cohort at Ambrose University. Joy is an actor, musician, worship leader, sound designer, singer-songwriter, burgeoning YouTube star, and having recently released her original music onto streaming platforms, which I'll include in the show notes for you today. Welcome, both of you, to the show. Thank you. Wow. So now that we know a little bit more about the two of you, why don't you tell me about Taylor's version? Oh, I thought you were going to ask us to tell you about you. And I was like, (laughs) I did not do my research. I have nothing on you. (laughs) Yeah, Taylor's version. Yeah, tell me all about it. Taylor's version is a show that is kind of a tribute to our guilty pleasures, all the things that we take delight in and find joy in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a like love letter to female friendships. That was a big theme that has especially taken over as we've worked through it in its various forms. Who's we? My creative partner, Samantha Ketza, and myself have done this show three times now. Oh, wow. Which is very fun. And unfortunately, she can't be with us today because she moved to Edmonton, but she's having a great time there. She got a job at the Grindstone. It's pretty cool. It's the theater that did Jason Kenney's Hot Boy Summer. Oh, nice. Yeah, Yeah. I've heard good things about that, but I never got to see it. So Taylor's version is about female friendship. How many people are in it? What is it about? It's about three girls getting ready to go out on the town. They're going to go to a Taylor Swift club night. And two of them are hardcore Taylor Swift fans. And one of them is being reluctantly dragged along. As one is always reluctantly dragged along. (laughs) Doesn't matter what the show is. (laughs) Yeah. It sets up a nice dynamic for us. And how did you originate the ideas for 
Taylor's version. What happened? When did that happen? It happened in the winter of 2021. Oh, okay. So we're deep in the pando. We're deep in there, but things are like starting to maybe tentatively come back. And mm-hmm. so we saw a posting for the Common Clown Festival, which was Common Ground's kind of like tentative back-ish, but not fully. Right. And so Sam submitted a pitch that she wanted to do a show that kind of brought all the things, like the joyful things that brought us joy throughout the pandemic mm-hmm. on stage. And she just wanted it to be like a big Taylor Swift sing-along. And then hired me because we'd gotten close and done a bunch of Taylor Swift listening parties over the year. And that was the year that she released two albums in the span of one year. It was amazing. So we did a lot of that. And she knew that I was a playwright and also a big Taylor Swift fan. And it grew from there. So the three of you then began writing this based on Sam's initial idea in 2021. Yes. And we collaborated with our friend Emily Sunderland as well. And so she... there we go. The three of you, Sam, Emily and Kaylee all getting together. And how often did you have to get together to put this thing through its paces? Well, it was still kind of pando times. So we wrote it and like created it separately and then brought it together for rehearsals when we were ready to put it on stage and got an amazing team of actors. Two out of three are still with us. Oh, wow. That's lovely. It's really nice. Yeah. Grace Fedorchuk and Donna Ng are still with us from the very first time around. And our original actor, Marissa Ragavine, moved to Toronto. That damn mover. (laughs) I know. But we replaced her with Chelsea Howellfellows, who is incredible and such a talented actress and dancer. So we're happy to have her. It's true. But Marissa is somebody special. So they are all somebody special. (laughs) Yes, it's true. I'm just mad. Every time people leave, I was like playing Dungeons and Dragons with Marissa and we were doing play readings and whatnot. And then suddenly she's just gone one day. I know. What's going on? She's like, I moved. (laughs) Maybe she'll come back. I don't think so. She does seem really happy there. (laughs) Yeah, she has found her joy. And that's what we all are striving for in this life. Just sometimes you hope you find that joy in Calgary. Well, I found this joy in Calgary. Yeah, you did. (laughs) So speaking of which, when did you get attached to this show? And what's your involvement in it? Well, I got brought in, I guess, round two, because we're in round three. So yeah, round two for the Edmonton Next Fest. I got brought in because I think Alex, maybe... We got connected through, yeah, Alex Cowman. Well, also, Joy was actually in the Emerging Artist, like, associate program yeah. at Lunchbox Theater. And so Joy was the assistant, like, sound designer on Home for Home the Holidays. Holidays. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's how the two of you met. Yes. Yeah. That's where we connected. And then, uh, yeah, they were in need for musical director slash kind of sound designer for round two of Taylor's version. And so just reached out and it sounded like... A blast of a project. I was also a Swifty, so I'm not as hardcore of a Swifty as pretty much everybody else on the team, but certainly love, love her music. And so I thought it'd be a lot of fun to be able to arrange her music and create this fun little friendship world that really celebrated female friendships. And so it sounded like something I wanted to hop on board with. So I did. And now here we are, round three, off we go. That's incredible. Okay, so 2021, we have the idea of it. How long did it take for the three of you to put this together into a finished form that you then were willing and ready to put it up? Oh, like two months. We banged it out real fast. (laughs) Wow, that is very fast. Waste no time. So two months later, we're into the beginning of 2022. And what's going on? What is the next step for putting it up? I wrote it in like January, February. Right. And then 
it was in the Common Clown Festival by March. By March. Yep. And so your two of your original three stars that are still with the show were are in it now, except for Marissa, who was in the show initially. How did it go? What was it like? What came about from that that made you say, we need to do more with this? It was amazing. We had such a fun time creating it and we really felt the bond between the characters on stage. And after it was over, we wanted to know more about them. There was so much more that we hadn't explored because it started as like a collection of bits about the Taylor Swift lore. Mm-hmm. And then I wove a like storyline into our bits so that it all oh, kind of wow. held together. And then we were like, well, actually, that storyline is really interesting. I would like to know more about their relationships and what so they've So was that a through. Zoom call or was that like in person when you had this, you needed to tell the other two playwrights that you're like, I, I want to do more with this? We did a Zoom call early on yeah. uh, that we kind of brainstormed all the bits and memes and jokes that we wanted in the show and the like big emotional punches we wanted as well. And then from there... It was always the plan that I would like kind of take those pieces away and then bring it back as a story. Tell you, making interstitial tissue is like the hardest thing to do. And it sounds like you've done a great (laughs) job of it. It's nice to like know where you're going when you start. So if you have like two pieces you need to string together, it's nice to have those like landmarks to get between yeah it's just that like in a human body those are all tendons and ligaments (laughs) and they're not fun and they're hard to make and difficult pieces actually i'm missing a ligament what that's we'll get to that in a moment (laughs) your play it sounds like isn't missing any though so you you spent the time creating all that interstitial tissue to bridge the gap between all of these these immense and powerful scenes and moments to make an a fulsome 90 minute tale Yes. So the original was 45, then it was 50, and now it's 90. And so we're calling this one internally the from the vault version. So we get to throw back in all the bits we had to cut before. Great. That's wonderful. Yeah. And so this version that we're putting up right now that's going to be aired on September 21st through the 24th at the Arts Common, that one has not been done before. We have not seen this. No, there's for sure 30 minutes of new material, including some like big story beats as well and some beautiful musical arrangements that are completely new. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. How many Glee style versions of Taylor Swift songs are there in the show? And that is you you can do you can do it twofold. There's the ones that are like two songs happening at the exact same time or the one song, then the other song, then the one song, then the other song. Is this almost like the rock of ages of Taylor Swift? Music. I think it might be. In a way, yes. Yeah, we're uh, having lots, lots of fun with the different arrangements. Yeah, it's sort of like semi-Taylor Swift kind of jukebox musical. But yeah, we have a, I don't know if I want to say how many, I'll keep it a surprise, but there's there's certainly some really fun arrangements in this one particular piece we've mashed together. I want to say there's maybe five different Taylor Swift songs in one arrangement. So that one was a lot of fun to create. And and some of the arrangements are just mashups of actual Taylor Swift recordings. Others have the actors uh, singing parts and these lyrics really support their storylines. And so that's kind of where it turns into a bit of a musical. We have lots of these beautiful moments that sort of just are sort of like a inside look into the minds of the characters and how they're processing life through these songs because that's you know such a 
a huge part of being like, a, I guess, a long term Taylor Swift fan for sure is kind of journeying with the songs, finding so much relatability in them, growing up with them, which uh, pretty much I'd say everyone who's working on our show has had some sort of like long term relationship with Taylor's music <laughs> for sure. And so this really like these songs really make them ours. There's actually like one of many interviews where people are trying to get Taylor Swift to admit like who a, a song is about. And mm. in one particular instance, she answers it so well and basically just says like, I wrote this from my experience, but now it's it's ours. It's theirs. Like there are people out there like chanting this song and it's about someone for them. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much about being whatever it was for her, but it's all of ours now. And I really yep. think that's what this show is kind of all about. It's like, okay, these are our songs. These are our life experience. And so it's so much confetti of goodness. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. When did the decision get made to do this 90 version and begin the process, pick the dates and who was involved in that? So we knew that we wanted to do it again and ideally do like a longer run because the shows that we've done so far have all been in festival settings. Yes. Which can present its own challenges. It's been great, but it's also been like, I have the entire set in the back of my car <laughs> and very limited tech time, very limited turnaround time. So we wanted to do like a full run of this. And I'd been working with DIY and they'd kind of approached me about maybe being involved in the following season. And I was like, well, I just so happened to have a very established package show ready so to set go. So set the scene here for that. Who was it you were talking to? Shelby Reinett. Great, wonderful person. And you're talking to Shelby. Shelby's like, we'd like you to be involved in the season. And you're like, I've got this show. Was that in person? Was that via email? When did this happen? Kind of all of the above. I, <laughs> Shelby and I are all like the same friends time. also. So. We're sitting in the same room drinking coffee and texting. <laughs> we, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we were working on a show together for a while and then she reached out to get a coffee just to like catch up yep and we talked loosely about maybe doing some stuff in the following season and so then i sent her some ideas of things and then like a month later before anything had been said i was like oh actually i also have this show yeah uh, it's taylor's version and i wrote it and it would be fun to do and she was kind of like yeah yeah that would be fun cool when did that happen we found out we were going to do it in like March of this year, I think. Wow. When did you have that conversation and that commitment with Shelby in regards to the season? I think December. December. That, that would track. Everything's yeah. a blur. <laughs> That's very fair. And you're in the middle of uh, wedding en engagements and all of those pieces to put that all together. So no wonder that this you know, finally gets settled up in March. Yeah. And we were actually already working up the show to take it to Next Fest in Edmonton, which was our second round. Wow. Um, so we call that one the re-record. Okay. And then this third one's from the vault. From the vault. Yes. So we were already in rehearsals when it kind of got firmed up that we were going to do it again. So we got a chance to ask all of our performers and our whole team like, hey, we have this opportunity. We'd love to have you back. Are you available? And everyone was, which is really nice. We're all like, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> Everyone's <was> very realized. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Was that in March that you told the cast and got everybody together and yeah and got then this we kicked off went to edmonton in june came back took a month off and then started rehearsals again at the end of august so what's rehearsals looked like they've been really fun we've done some musical rehearsals where joy gets to take over for the day and That's all the cool. work with the girls <laughs> yeah which is great i'm i'm fairly new to 
music directing. Yeah. Definitely done sound design before, but not a ton of like working with actors. Got a chance to do that a little bit over the summer. Uh, worked with the team on A Midsummer Night's Dream Theater mm-hmm. Calgary. That's right. Which was super fun. So that gave me some nice practice. I wrote my own music for that and then, you know, kind of coached them in, in singing and such. And so, yeah, now I'm getting to do it with my own arrangements of Taylor Swift music, which, yeah, feels fantastic so yeah and which is just a lot of fun because the girls are all so gung-ho to learn the music i mean they've already learned the music let's be real yeah let's be real but yeah it's it's mostly just like a lot of fun it's like a really great rehearsal environment uh, it's been a great balance of i think people bringing themselves to the rehearsal room and we typically do like a, a check-in at the beginning of rehearsals just to kind of see where everyone's at Mm -hmm. which is just a great way to just be like hey this is how i'm feeling today this is what i'm bringing into the room and then we all just kind of like collectively throw that into a pot and then we just work (laughs) metaphorical pot (laughs) metaphorical pot yeah and yeah so then the music rehearsals have just been a blast people are just like making choices and we're crafting things to kind of make it sound a little more musical theatery in certain moments and it's a great collaborative environment people are just kind of like hey could i could i try this i'm like yeah let's go for it and, oh that's uh, wonderful yeah lots and of is dancing. it all tracks or is there live music at all all tracks all tracks yeah so some of the tracks i created myself uh, oh wow yeah so with this one song in particular we wanted it to well it's called hits different we wanted it to hit different <laughs> um <laughs> so uh, i created sort of a more of an acoustic version of it to more so fit the exact mood of the scene and where the character was at. Yeah, so there's a few moments like that where I've had my own musical recording done for that. But then other than that, there's mostly just a lot of actual Taylor Swift recordings. It's a nice mix, I think. So If you had the time, the budget, and the people, would you have done it with live music? Oh, probably. I mean, maybe. I think that that would would have been fun. Yeah, it would have been really cool. wanted to play. We talked a little bit about it because we, the first time around, did like not really very much of it, but we had Donna learn the chords to all too well and just kind of like chorded a little bit as we mm-hmm. were going. Uh-huh. Yeah, our girls are super talented triple threats, but mm-hmm. not a lot of them play instruments. So that's also a challenge. And I think it has like quite grown. I mean, I never saw the first iteration. Yeah, but I think we have sort of grown with it and it's sort of just gotten more musical as we've gone along and... Yeah, I had different opportunities with, yeah, the different actors, you know, skill sets and things. So it just created a nice opportunity to to bring more musical variety into it. So I'm pretty excited to see, see the final product. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when do you load in? We load in on Tuesday. That's incredible. Yeah. What are you preparing right now to make it the most efficacious, beautiful, brilliant piece that it can be? What's the thing that's got you slaving away right now? We haven't actually done a full run yet, so we're hoping I mean, to do that on so Saturday. I, that, I mean, you have, because <laughs> you put it up twice, but... Oh, yeah, but not <laughs> with the new stuff. <laughs> not, not with the, the new stuff. 90 minutes. Full content, <laughs> yeah. But we are also doing a little bit of a research trip on Saturday, which we're very excited about. We have tickets to go see the uh, Swifties socials, like dance club night at commonwealth oh, okay pretty much just gonna live the play yeah <laughs> we're gonna do a little bit of site specific work <laughs> nice maybe maybe not we'll see how the vibe is <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool so that'll be the lead-in to sunday's full run rehearsal yeah that you're gonna, overjoyed for we're excited to see all the pieces working together we've had a chance to loosely run everything and we're just gonna go through it all at once that's amazing and then you load in on tuesday 
The show goes up on, I'm going to say the 21st is Thursday, correct? Yeah. So yeah. we have a dress on Wednesday and then we are running. Wow. Some quick turnaround time. What should audiences be looking for when they sit down to watch the show? A good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> That's common parlance, right? Anytime you sit down to see theater, you're hoping for a good time. But mm-hmm. is I mean, there not necessarily. You might be going for a, a little therapy session. That might also apply. That is still <laughs> under the umbrella of a good time. <laughs> good it's time. just, you know, we're couching it here in terms of like, I'm, my expectations are yes. in, order, th- in order to have this happen, that will be a good time, right? So sometimes you go to watch a play to see everything fall apart and that is your own good time sorry what was the question the question was <laughs> why should audiences come to see it what are they going to be looking for in this show i think the best way to put it is it feels like a night out with your friends it feels like hanging out with your friends so if you're craving some like like fulfilling girly friendship like slumber party vibes that's what the show is all about mm-hmm. had several people come up to me after the show being like Okay, but that's that's about us, right? Like when right. we did that, that's about us. Yeah. I was like, it's about everyone. Yeah, it's definitely super relatable. I even feel that when we're in rehearsals, I automatically feel like I'm at like a slumber party. I'm like, oh, we're like all friends. We've been friends forever, even though I've only known you for like six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I also think it's, I mean, obviously it's called Taylor's version, so it's going to attract i think taylor swift fans but i think it's also brilliant to bring your non taylor swift friends too because if you're ever wondering about all of the easter eggs and the secrets and the the lore this is a great introduction to someone who doesn't who claims to not like Taylor Swift. It's a great crash course. Yeah, great crash course. <laughs> Another way to say it, rather, other than Easter eggs and lore and tidbits and whatnot, would be to say that there's a lot more depth in Taylor's songs of meaning and uh, intent than people would nominally give a blonde pop star, former country singer, mm-hmm. the time of day for. And Absolutely. so I think it's very important that uh, this sort of stuff exists that is dissecting and reframing and refocusing Taylor's work to show us there's more going on here than um, delightful cadences and interesting rhyming schemes. Mm -hmm. To quote the play, it's not all glitter gel pen lyrics and shaking it off. There's some serious stuff in there too. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. I'm especially looking forward to seeing it. I went and saw, and I'll relate this in a way that may be appreciated or not. I don't know. I don't know my audience listening to this podcast either, but take it as you will. This is me, fully unfettered. Uh, When I went and saw Twilight on opening night and sat in the theater with all of the other 20-something young women and teenage young women, after having read all four of the novels in about a month and a half setting, catching up to my wife, who was like head over heels about Twilight, I realized that the movie Twilight helped me get in touch with the 13-year-old girl inside of me. And can we rightly say that there's a similar sort of teenage girl who just wants to be at a slumber party with her friends inside all of us that will get to come out for this show? Is that a, I think that's a proper way of stating yeah. that? Cool. <laughs> the inner 13-year-old, the inner 25-year-old, yeah. the inner 29-year-old. That's the cool thing yeah. about Taylor Swift, too, is like her music has spanned such a like long period, too. We've watched mm-hmm. her grow up and we've got to grow up with her. So it, it feels like... 
every album was relevant at the time that it came out because that was the time of my life that I was there for it. Mm -hmm. Those songs. You've grown up with Taylor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also neat to like watch like when she was 18 and writing music, what her experience of love is versus her most recent album and like her kind of breaking up with her long-term partner in her most recent album. And you can hear all the like clues that that was falling apart while she, like before it was public in Mm -hmm. her, her work and her music. And it's just very touching. And you can relate that to moments that I've had in past relationships where I'm like, this is not working, but I want to keep trying. And yeah, mm-hmm. anyway. I it's an on. interesting <laughs> thing in literary th- criticism where you are so very aware of who the author is that mm-hmm. they are compl- they cannot be divorced from their work. I am very familiar with Taylor's life because how can you not be and mm-hmm. can be open to Twitter and Instagram and the media at large? Everybody knows what's going on because she's just one of those people. But it is and would be interesting to pass her music on to people who have absolutely no idea who she is and watch to see just how relevant it remains because we've talked about that previously and how personal her work is for each person who listens to it and even though it seems to come from a very personal space for her it's great to try to divorce our own knowledge of who taylor swift is and what she's been through to perceive the the work itself Mm -hmm. my creative partner sam often says there's like Something about the specificity of the lyrics and the storytelling in Taylor's work is what makes it universal. Mm -hmm. Like, you probably didn't leave your scarf at your ex-boyfriend's sister's house, but there's something about that feeling so specific and in the moment of the time that you're like, yeah, I know exactly how that feels. (laughs) We've all walked down a lonely pier and saw a beautiful house that we were like, oh, it'd be cool to live there and get to see the beautiful sunsets and the vision across the ocean from it. And I don't remember what song that is, but that's one of her songs from her new albums. Um, I think you're thinking Last Great American Dynasty? Yes, that's it. (laughs) Well, what's really cool about that one, too, is she did all the research about who formerly owned her house that she actually bought. Yep read like a biography about her and then wrote a song. But it also is relevant to your in the moment walk down a country lane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, look, a cool house. I wonder who lived there. I wonder what happened. And it is very cool to see the journey of these songs. And we even use a song called Betty, one of her songs, and the actors sing that in the show. And even just knowing, I believe the impetus for starting to write that song for Taylor was just wanting to include the names of Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively's three kids. <laughs> like, oh, I want to write a song that includes these three names. And then it could just be like this simple form of inspiration to create a whole narrative that is in- within that song. So then she creates this thing which inspires all these different people and they can see themselves in this story, even though that might not even reflect her personal story, but she created this thing. And now it means something even more to the characters in our script and just seeing how a spark of an idea from her just wanting to include these names in a song just to for a writing exercise or whatever can then go that far to now inspire a whole play. (laughs) It's nuts. It's great. I love it. It's a tough question that I'm asking you here now, but it's always one I want to think about because when I have directed the one time. (laughs) <laughs> and never again. But nevertheless. <laughs> Scarred for life. No, it I it just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, that's fair. I would rather be on stage. And I feel like when you're the director, you're the dad of a big family. <laughs> and then 
all the kids are like friends and whatnot and you walk in the room like dad's here and it's like even <laughs> if you're not engendering that and you're still making a family around you you still have a degree of status and power above and beyond everybody else and so you're never really part of the group you are a part of the group a space part and that's why i don't really want to do it again because i liked making a whole bunch of new friends and you don't really get to do that when mm. you're the director anyway that being said maybe it's different in a smaller structured show or something like that i don't know but that was my experience with yeoman of the garden 26 people so i had things in my head when i was directing it that said like i want audiences to have these questions when they leave the show i'm a big fan of the sophoclean elements where you were like there's there's catharsis you should be changed by the interactions and and perception of what you've perceived when you put yourself into the the roles and the people you're watching on stage when things happen you should have an emotive reaction to it and so as a result i always say what questions should the audience have when they walk away from the show and have you given any thought to that yeah that's a hard question it's a deep question <laughs> i feel like the this is going to be a very long answer to your question cool. <laughs> so our company that taylor's version was created under is called baker miller pink and you may be wondering why it's called that because no one's named baker or miller or pink <laughs> didn't question it <laughs> i did I absolutely did. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for facilitating my storytelling oh, yeah. here. yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> so Baker Miller Pink is actually a specific shade of pink, also known as drunk tank pink. But there were some psychological studies done to show that it was proven to calm people down and like make you more docile when you were in like a long-term exposure to that shade of pink. Whoa. Which is why they paint drunk tanks that color or like football teams will paint the opposing team's locker room that color to try and like mellow them out. And that's why it's actually both locker rooms have to be the same color. But then a little bit later on, that theory was proved to not be true at all. It actually makes you more docile for about 15 minutes. And then it makes your body more angry at being calmed down. So that's kind of the goal of our shows is we want you to like feel calm, have a good time, like just get lost in the sauce of the experience. And then go home and think about the deeper issues. And I think the deeper issues in this show are talking about, like, why do people make fun of Taylor Swift? And, like, what is, well, the aesthetics of subordination? Why are things that are considered feminine also kind of considered lesser than? Mm -hmm. And when, like, the merit is the same, we have a whole section we call the soapbox section that involves one of our characters going off on a rant about how Taylor Swift and Bob Dylan actually have a lot in common and people so don't give her the same credit. Mm -hmm. Or like her poetry isn't taken as seriously. No. And just the the sheer volume of her work. Yeah. At this age. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same as Bob Dylan's. It's kind of weird. <laughs> so people should walk away um, and we'll come back to the aesthetic of subordination all too soon. I have some deep thoughts on that. Your music, though, the way you've constructed it, the way you've put it together, does it do you feel that audiences will walk away with any questions that you're hopefully asking of them? The show overall, I think, is very lighthearted and it's funny and there's like so much life and beauty within it. But then we also have these wonderful moments with each one of the characters. And uh, anytime things get serious, I feel like I always come in with some kind of deep musical arrangement. It's amazing. Yeah. Joy sent us several like gut punch and musical arrangements and it just 
she sent us one today and Sam sent in our like little group chat. She was like, I'm crying. Thank you. Oh, wow. We were all collectively weeping. Um, <laughs> At the pain in your gut from the punching. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I think within that, it's it sort of speaks to what we were chatting about earlier of like, there's so much more to Taylor's music than just, you know, shake it off. There's actual like pain and deep poetry and meaning within these lyrics and so i hope audiences walk away asking these questions of themselves like how am i viewing the world how am i viewing my own pain what are my blind spots that maybe my friends are pointing out to me that i haven't been able to see for whatever reason until i heard this song and then suddenly it's like oh wow there's something i need to deal with there so I hope that the life and beauty that the show brings, that it brings people to that kind of a place. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, let's talk about the aesthetics of subordination, which is a really new thing that is built upon the foundations of many older things. But the psychological and anthropological study of femininity, not gender, so woman, not sex, female, but specifically the concept of femininity itself, which is very, very new. So we we had lots of 1980s and earlier, you know, bra burning. What is, you know, female empowerment has been there for a long time, right? And the lesson then, but not, not f- the femininity side of things, which is to say that it is the attributes of femalehood, of womanhood that is seen as lesser. This has only recently come about in the last two years that studies have actually now been done that show on a very clinical basis, this very, very apparent sociological, especially in North America. And that's the other thing that needs to be definitely stated is these articles and these papers have definitely used a North American Mm. populace. It was not based in Europe, not based in Africa. It's North American, American specifically, and to a later, lesser extent, Canadian field and and approach. What it says, and from these studies, I'll just read this now. Everything I've said is from my head (laughs) because I did so much reading on this. Okay. They realized and found that there were two networks at play. The first network pertains to masculine themes, masculine privilege, masculinity as protective, and masculinity as the norm or normal or the baseline of our North American culture. The second network pertains to femininity, which is feminine inferiority, femininity as a target. I want to come back to that in a second. And then femininity as inauthentic. So not the norm, it is apart from. And the connection between these two networks, these two thematic networks, illustrates the symbiotic relationship between femphobia, we'll come back to that in a moment too, and the gender binary. Finally, patterns identified from the thematic analysis in this study were used to generate a model of what we now know to be femphobia. And the paper then culminates suggesting that the gender binary is not merely a division, it is also hierarchical and entirely regulated by femphobia. So femphobia is a fear of anything that represents femininity, i.e. P- 
pink and dresses and girly mannerisms, which is really important. It is not regulated by being a woman or being transgender or any other thing that is related to the gender or sex of womanhood. It is entirely about these oddly hierarchical constructs about what makes a woman woman and they are all these femininity related things which are the targets upon which the male gaze is constantly directed upon in oftentimes hurtful and predatory ways okay that's a lot of me talking (laughs) is that how you see the aesthetics of subordination as well Yes. Yeah. No, okay. you, you summed it up. Did very I get nicely. it? Okay. I think so. I mean, you, you, it sounds like you've done more research. <laughs> I've done so much research. As soon as I saw, I, I asked the question, I was like, uh, Kaylee, what is the aesthetics of subordination? And then I started digging. <laughs> uh, and this has been two days of a rabbit's hole for me. It is stuff that I've been invested in, interested in for a very long time. And it is eye opening to finally have these terms, finally something you can like, latch all of these anecdotal points that you've noticed and these experiences that you doubtlessly have had, and I have had as well, where you can see how femphobia is the way in which the heteronormative agenda, the heteronormative structure of our society regulates itself by tearing down and saying that is abnormal. How does this come to play in Taylor's version? I mean, I think Taylor Swift has become kind of an emblem for, like you were saying earlier, the 13-year-old girl inside of all of us. And so she's often the victim of that same kind of femme phobia where they people don't take her seriously as an artist, don't take her music seriously. She's not allowed to have power. She is a skinny, blonde, white girl who sings happy, plucky acoustic guitar songs and is not worth even getting to hold a trophy for winning an award and getting to make a speech in her own accord, (laughs) not just once, but multiple times. And if you want to say that Olivia Munn was making a joke, I would say otherwise, and that Olivia Munn was focusing femphobia on Taylor to elevate and heighten her own heteronormative position. Yeah. And there's a lot of women who do that, too, who are like, "Mm, I'm not like other girls. And that's actually embodied in one of our characters as well. Oh, that's great. Who's like, oh, I'm too cool for feelings. I'm like above that. I'm above a pumpkin spice latte. I'm just going to order my coffee black. And all of that's kind of that internalized stuff. And some of it might be true. You might just like black coffee. And that is also just fine. Perfectly valuable. (laughs) You don't have to be ultra feminine to still kind of have respect for things that are feminine. Right. Or perceived as feminine. Yes. Right. They don't have to be pumpkin spice lattes are not feminine. They're a coffee. Mm -hmm. There's nothing feminine about it. Nothing feminine about Uggs or wearing a warm cardigan on an autumn day. Yeah. (laughs) Being cozy is not feminine. (laughs) Everyone deserves to be cozy. Exactly. And it it is so wonderful to have these terms like femphobia, where you can see even minor instances of femphobia work as the regulator to maintain status quo, not just between men and women and people in power and people without power, but also within established relationships. Totally. As I've... she orders a black coffee and judges her friend for getting a pumpkin spice latte. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're in a really cool moment right now, though, where we are actually kind of having a renaissance of 
empowerment and femininity emerging with the Barbie movie this summer and everyone kind of like Speak Now Taylor's version, the Barbie movie and the Little Mermaid live action all coming out in one summer. It's just very exciting. Plus with Twilight being put on Netflix, everyone is kind of having a resurgence of that too. And I think it's interesting actually. Oh, and Girl Dinner. Lest I forget Girl Dinner. Girl Dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a TikTok the other day that was talking about how they, uh, like Girl Dinner has achieved what people have been trying to do with feminism for so long. (laughs) I'm trying to remember exactly what it said, but it was along the lines of Girl Dinner is like the chaos of having like a handful of shredded cheese and some grapes and crackers and calling it dinner, but then making it public and everyone being able to like join in being like, yes, this is my girl dinner. And like advertising it is like it's no longer a shameful thing. Now everyone's like, yes, I'm doing girl dinner tonight. I'm not going to have real food. That's not ideal for like health (laughs) and dietary reasons. But I feel like there's a way that femme people have been able to connect on the internet and be been able to like indulge in these passions. And let's not even move from (laughs) femme people, people with perceived attributes of femininity that are not lesser. That's what's important for us to recognize is that these perceived attributes of femininity, which are entirely socially constructed, there's nothing neurologically or biologically imperative in these things. And and there's lots of great examples history-wise and even in the modern day in regards to them, but perceived femininity in North American culture that we need to deconstruct to show that it is the norm. It is not abnormal. It is perfectly within the realm of normality for all. Girl dinner would be perfectly acceptable for myself as well. Yeah, (laughs) I can easily have three grapes and a handful of Triscuits and be like, that's dinner. I'm sorry, I've eaten. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry, rest of my family. (laughs) (laughs) There may be a Snickers bar in the freezer if you want to go look. (laughs) (laughs) So Taylor's version really helps break this down. I hope so. That's our goal is to allow people to kind of see themselves on both sides of it being like super into Taylor Swift and then also being the like, "Mm, I'm just like not into Taylor Swift. Like she's fine. She's not that good. Or I don't get why people are so into her. Mm -hmm. I went to a rap concert with my husband, which was really fun. And I had a great time and I didn't know what to wear. And I was freaking out about it before. And then I saw someone who I saw their shirt said Taylor Swift. And so I leaned over to him and I was like, I'm going to be just fine. Someone's wearing a Taylor Swift shirt here. <laughs> and then he turned around later and it said like F Taylor Swift. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, that's so sad. Which is also like, why Why are their shirts like that? Like, that's crazy. Why, why do you care that much? I think it's because they want to. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that was his connotation of it. It but, could uh, very well be, though, because that person sees something in Taylor's music that speaks to them and they want to burn it down that Mm -hmm. is a that is why it is also femininity as the target right it needs to be taken down it needs to be destroyed it needs to be rendered lesser and that is one of the ways in which hopefully we can start breaking this down by recognizing what femphobia is and yeah it, it took me a very long time for me to recognize that when i go to a concert or i go to a show nobody cares what i'm wearing I'm getting there now. <laughs> I mean, I was in my 40s when I realized like, and it was like, oh, I can wear joggers in public because nobody cares what I'm wearing. It took a whole pandemic for me to recognize that I could wear and be comfortable in what I was wearing and not have it be a malicious slight against my masculinity. But then I can still be my very true internal self at any given time and 
that doesn't matter whether or not it's feminine or masculine, the traits that I am presenting. So that is leading me to my other question. And that is, if this show, Taylor's version, is all about the aesthetics of subordination, how would this show work with three heterosexual fraternity frat boys getting prepped to go see Taylor Swift? Mm, Does it work? I think it would work. I think you could you could do it. I think maybe a little bit of the language and definitely the choreo should change a little bit. <laughs> change nothing. <laughs> will that read to the audience? Yeah, I think so. I think it's Great. All about- Our director says so. I will leave that question to the people listening to this podcast as well. Yeah. That was a very heavy topic, a very weighty thing that I want audiences and people who listen to this podcast to watch that production coming up here. It is only going to exist for a very, very, very small amount of time. Mm -hmm. Unless you get a longer run somewhere else, you should rush and get your tickets now. Kaylee, Joy, and everyone else involved in this has done a great deal of work. I don't know if you've listened to the amount of time that both of these ladies have spent working on this project to bring it to your eyes. And so if we don't have a full house of people sitting there and relishing and enjoying in not only Taylor's music, but Joy's interpretations of of Taylor's music in new and variegated ways, but also these three lovely characters whom you should be able to identify with and self-identify with that will help us fight femphobia going forward, you are doing yourself a massive injustice. The links in the show notes show you where to go to buy tickets. You should find your way to the theater. I am not lying when I say I am more excited about this project than I have been about a lot of other projects in the last little while. DIY theater does amazing work. The two of you are skilled, capable, dominant forces of your own rights. And I really wish this show to be nothing but a success. Is there anything else you'd like people to know about the show? I do have one thing before we go. Let's do it. In Swifty culture, uh, it's become a thing to trade friendship bracelets. So I brought you a friendship bracelet. You brought me a friendship bracelet? Oh my God. (laughs) Says the name of your podcast on it. What? (laughs) Realness. Wow. Well, I know where this is going and it's going to go right on my microphone as soon as this (laughs) is done. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for the gift of your art. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening.